Hello, and welcome to Driving the Future, a show from Capgemini Invent. I'm Greg Nusma. Throughout this series, we're going to be speaking to the top minds in the automotive industry from Capgemini and beyond to get an inside look at where the industry is headed and how companies can shape their own future. In today's inaugural episode, we're tackling one of the most pressing and important challenges the commercial vehicle sector is currently facing, sustainable transformation, the move towards electromobility and fully electric fleets. Given the threat of climate change, strict regulations, and in order to keep up with the changing market, automotive manufacturers across the globe are looking to move towards more sustainable practices. But are they doing enough? What are the roadblocks? What are the catalysts? Who's helping them along the way? I want to know why electromobility is going to drive us into the future, to hear about new technologies changing the game and the challenges manufacturers are facing as they move to more sustainable practices. So I got in touch with one of our experts here at Capgemini Invent, Dr. Philip Hoff. He's our Senior Manager of Automotive and Head of E-Mobility Solutions. Philip specializes in helping automotive companies improve their performance in downstream activities, drawing on his 11 years experience in the sector to ensure manufacturers are in the right lane to transform their businesses to more sustainable practices. I wanted to get some background on why OEMs might want to move to electric fleets and how the industry's ecosystem is changing to meet those needs. So today I'd like to start on a, on a pretty high level. We're talking about sustainable transformation in uh, commercial vehicles. So can we just start with the basics? Like, What are the benefits of moving to uh, electric and the benefits of sustainability in commercial vehicles? Yes, like, like the name of the study tells it already, those manufacturers are forced by regulators to become more sustainable. And um, obviously, one of the advantages moving to alternative drives is reaching those targets set by regulators by substituting um, internal combustion engines by alternative drives. Okay. And what are some of the changing patterns of sustainability within the automotive industry? Um, the, the patterns are changing due to other components used in those um, vehicles. There are um, some critical raw materials um, for batteries, for example, and um, of course um, the supply chains and partners they have to deal with are uh, changing. Um, in the passenger car industry, um, the change is already ongoing um, and the same will happen for the truck industry. And this is um, a challenge for those um, manufacturers. What are some of the timelines for the sustainability targets and the transition to electric? Hmm. Um, yes, of course. Uh, like I already said, there are um, specific targets set by regulators um, regarding the CO2 emissions um, of those companies. But um, uh, they also push themselves by their own technology um, timelines. And they are really ambitious. So we can expect um, the first serious um, um, electrified trucks um, on the road. Um, and we are not talking about um, prototypes, but um, serious production trucks at uh, 2024, 2025 um, on the road. Electric vehicles play a key role in the race to reach net zero. 
They are vital for automotive companies who want to create an effective, sustainable business that builds for the future. And not least for the commercial vehicle sector, where the companies lead, other markets are likely to follow. But given the vitality of moving to more sustainable business models, I wanted to know why some manufacturers were being slow on the uptake to change to electric vehicles. Because of cost? A lack of infrastructure? I asked Philip for his thoughts on this. There are slightly differences between the OEMs, nevertheless, um, they are all um, on the same road, I would say, um, with different challenges. Um, why do they have different challenges? Um, some of those truck OEMs are part of um, automotive groups where they can use technology already um, existing um, within passenger cars um, and also from the supply chains and partners um, they can use to get up to speed. Nevertheless, um, the products are, are different um, than passenger cars and um, this is quite challenging um, for truck manufacturers. So for an OEM to move to production of electric fleets, presumably there are some costs involved. From an OEM's perspective, what are some of the costs or what are some of the factors at play in determining the cost of, of producing electric? Overall, um, they have to work with new partners. So um, their old or let's say established production networks um, do not work anymore for every component. So um, they have to establish new partnerships. And this is quite challenging because um, their production networks were established over the past decades and um, are very efficient. And um, changing those product patterns um, is quite challenging. But besides that, um, they also have to deal with infrastructure. All, all the years they were on the market, they profited from an oil industry which set up um, all the infrastructure needed to run internal combustion engines. Now there's a need for new infrastructure, namely charging infrastructure. Um, and this is quite challenging because um, across Europe and uh, also in other regions uh, across the globe, the question is who is responsible for setting up that infrastructure. It's a question of public infrastructure versus infrastructure at the depots of the logistic companies, for example. And this is uh, connected to very high costs, setup costs for that infrastructure. And this is also challenging for them. How far away are we from having the infrastructure for big fleets to run entirely electric? First of all, um, this, <laughs> this will take um, uh, some decades for uh, changing fleets completely to alternative drives. The question is if this will ever happen because uh, use cases uh, for medium or heavy-duty trucks are quite different. And um, if the use case... Um, fits for an alternative drive train technology, then it's um, pretty easy to switch technologies, but there are also use cases where um, it's not possible or not uh, necessary in the next decade to switch. And um, having that in mind, 
it uh, it can be totally different uh, what the infrastructure looks like because if you have if you are having use cases um, that um, are based on um, a simple depot charging scenario where you charge your truck you're in a hub and spoke delivery network you start your um, drive cycle in the morning um, deliver for example groceries to three four or five supermarkets and then return back to your depot it's quite easy and uh, infrastructure is easy to set up when we are talking about public infrastructure for example for um, heavy duty trucks um, this will take quite um, uh, some time um, and especially um, a lot of um, uh, infrastructure spent to set up those infrastructures. And are the challenges in getting there related to cost? What are some of the factors uh, at play there and how do we get beyond them? First of all, comparing a truck with a passenger car, it is obvious that the main difference is the size. So talking about existing charging infrastructure, it um, becomes clear at hand that it's not possible to make use of existing um, charging infrastructure for trucks. First of all, um, because of the power provided, um, it's not enough to charge trucks. Uh, talking about uh, trucks, um, we are talking about megawatt chargers, um, high performance chargers um, with really high power Whereas um, for passenger cars, um, the already exists in parts existing high performance charging infrastructure is quite suitable to um, refuel your car within 20 minutes. This is not enough um, for a truck. Um, so it's about power, it's about space and space along central routes for example in in europe so the main routes need to be electrified and then it's not only about money um, and um, public infrastructure provided by governments and the oems it's also about distribution network providers um, which deliver the energy to the point where the truck um, will be charged it's about um, the truck stop area providers. It's about the auto route providers in the respective countries and who is providing the space to install those chargers. And this is quite difficult um, and not, um, not done as easy as it is for passenger cars. Cost and a lack of infrastructure are the key things holding back OEMs from moving to fully electric fleets. Nevertheless, it's a process which is now gathering real speed, especially given new regulations from governing bodies and pressure from non-governmental groups. And with COP26 just around the corner, this issue has never been in the spotlight more than it is now. I wanted to speak to someone from one such group to really get to grips with the issue here to find out not only the further benefits of electric vehicles to the planet, but to see what the commercial vehicle sector is doing in order to match the stringent regulations being set. So to find out more, I got in touch with Philip Van Heel. He's the Secretary General of AVERE, the European Association for Electromobility. 
Avere is the only association representing and advocating for electromobility on behalf of the industry, academia, and EV users at both EU and national levels, and they aim to help support Europe's sustainable transition in order to create zero emission mobility for all. I wanted to dig a little deeper to get a more regulatory perspective on why some OEMs might currently be choosing to wait before making the switch to electric, while also discussing what new types of vehicles are being utilized once this move has been made. If I'm an OEM and I'm thinking about changing over to an electric fleet of commercial vehicles, and I see how fast the the landscape is changing, it might be in my benefit to wait because if I do it today, it's going to be more expensive and, and less powerful than if I do it tomorrow or a little bit down the line. So when is the right moment for a company to make the make the leap to electric if i can speak for on on european level um the commission had set out the new co2 standards and if you overall production quota is producing more co2 than allowed you get fines per each produced vehicle so there is no choice to wait and and what i think the the biggest nightmare for car maker today is um the, what the customer wants to have. Um, we see the high popularity of SUVs. They're typically a bit heavier, a bit bigger, so asking more energy. So on, on if you translate that in internal combustion engines, they produce more CO2. Of course, if you calculate this, then you need to compensate it somehow. Of course, now I'm talking about um, passenger cars. But the CO2 measurements also coming up, coming for trucks and buses. Uh, I think for our purposes of our conversation today, we're looking at uh, battery-powered electric vehicles and fuel cell electric vehicles. Uh, can you give us an overview of what these vehicles are and how they work? So typically you have a full battery pack um, in, the, in the vehicle, uh, which can be charged um, on, on different levels. Depending the purpose of the vehicle, you also have different um, charging standards. The bigger it becomes, the more demanding it becomes also on the charging standard. And also the, the, the more we need to express the specifically need that, that there is. Um, one current disadvantage of a battery electric vehicle, by how it's composed, of course, is the weight. It has been improved already the last 10 years. But the weight is still an, is still part of a possible issue, and let's say it like that. It's not always the case. We work; I, they work really on the um, energy density, kind of linked to the weight as well. The hydrogen cell will produce electricity, so it's also an electric vehicle basically because the power and what's on the wheels is also an electric uh, motor. But the electricity comes from the hydrogen cell, which is also stored at a smaller battery. Biggest disadvantage, in my opinion at least, for, uh, for hydrogen is where is the hydrogen coming from. There has been a study published for especially on the grey hydrogen, when is that is produced indeed coming from gas, and we are still linked with, with, um, with the oil sector. That study said yeah, that it's even better just to use gas power, because producing grey hydrogen has no sense at all. I see the, the both technologies very complementary, with your, 
I, I have the feeling that it's currently always split from the very uh, people who admire battery solutions. And then you have the hydrogen people, they admire their technology and they don't want to hear of the other alternative. It should be a very good mix of both to, to address, in my opinion, the, the climate change. And, and that's it's about. Picking up on your idea of it should be a mix between the two different technologies, what are some of the best use cases for each of those technologies? I think um, hydrogen, we really should look to um, where we cannot electrify with the battery solution. That's, the, the for me, the simplest way to say it. Um, if you really see on, on shipping uh, purposes, um, the really long distance, this you can definitely not do with, with a battery, um, not today. There is cases for, for heavy-duty trucks, um, long distance, um, probably difficult to do with that with a battery solution um, today. So it, we need also the, to decarbonize that sector as well. Um, there is questions about planes, what will be the good alternative. Um, they're also talking about e-fuels. E-fuels is still the question if you can supply enough e-fuels to, to make a completely switch. We, we really need to look from, from, from a distance to it with peer-reviewed, peer um, based um, scientific reviews. And, and go. I, I keep on doing that all, all the time. It's not because it's done today that it will still be valid next year. So we need to come. I keep on going on that process and still keep the focus, the end focus. So it sounds like one of the different use cases which would distinguish between you know, battery powered or, or hydrogen fuel cell is long distance versus short distance. Uh, for commercial vehicles, is payload a consideration as well? Probably, but also there, um, I think in, in Europe we are a bit more restrictive than I compare it with, with, for example, the US. So also there you really have to decide it at uh, per region, per per topic. And of course, is it, there is also the, the question, can we not look at, at other, other alternatives? Huh? Um, we have chosen a certain moment to put so many freight on trucks, um, we still need to put the question, can we not optimize this? Is it not an alternative ways by trains, by, uh, by sh on, on inland shipping, etc., etc. New electric vehicles comes with various different types of technologies under the hood. And the speed at which this incredible new technology is evolving is truly fascinating. Both Philippe and Philip told me that we should expect to see some exciting new changes in battery technology for commercial vehicles in the coming years. But now we've looked at why companies may want to move to electric fleets and the tools by which they're going to do it, it's time to look at how well companies are doing on the road to sustainable transformation. Is the switch aligning with sustainability targets? What needs to be improved to ensure this happens? I went back to Philip Hoff to find out. I'd like to get into some of the things that uh, uh, manufacturers are currently doing in order to speed up uh, the switch to electric. So what are manufacturers doing to get up to speed when it comes to alternative uh, drivetrains? Um, first of all, they set up um, um, particular organizational structures to um, bring um, those technologies to life and this 
um, includes the whole ecosystem, which means not only the vehicle itself, but the digital ecosystem around it to make use of those products um, as smooth as it, as it gets for their customers. So um, talking about um, intelligent uh, navigation, also um, making use of artif artificial intelligence when it comes to setting up um, optimal routes for those new vehicles. What the manufacturers also do is setting up teams, helping their customers to do the math behind um, switching use cases from internal combustion engine vehicles to battery electric vehicles and identifying use cases and typical routes of them that are um, able to be switched to alternative drives. Um, what they also do is helping their customers setting up the infrastructure and consulting them on what is needed um, for um, a certain fleet um, when it comes to charging at their depots, um, what potential partners are to set up that infrastructure and to run it, and um, also to service that infrastructure because these are questions that come to customers' mind already today because um, they also have to prepare themselves for the switch of technologies. What can OEMs be doing with their customers in order to better prepare them for the change? Yes, that's a really good question because the level of pressure perceived by their customers to change to alternative powertrains is, is really high, as we've seen in our study. But um, at the same time, as you already mentioned, um, customers do not feel prepared for that change. This is a clear sign that um, the OEMs need to invest more to prepare their customers. So how to do so? Um, they um, should set up programs to inform um, their customers what it takes to switch um, to electrified vehicles. What is um, uh, what has to be done um, by um, their customers to prepare to do so? So um, bring them into contact with um, their energy providers, with um, their local authorities when it comes to um, installing, uh, for example, um, charging equipment at their depots and also providing them with um, clear offers um, on how to finance um, the infrastructure they need to run those products. And at the end, it's about total cost of ownership and um, the money you need to spend uh, per kilometer. And they also have to um, help them to do the math, whether it's a business case um, for them to switch to alternate drives, alternative drives or uh, not to do so. Because at the end, um, the logistics business is mainly driven by cost. And um, this is the answers um, OEMs have to give. Cost, however, is only one part of the issue. Because even once OEMs and consumers take the cost issue out of the equation, sometimes real change at a worldwide scale 
needs to come via regulation and government incentives, even penalties. Philippe Van Giel and Avere work with the EU and national governments in order to action this change. So he was the perfect person to tell me about how effective good regulation can be. How does Avere work with governments or the European Union to enact effective policy? So um, we are indeed recognized by, by the European Union on, on different levels with, with uh, stakeholder meetings or, um, or different um, forum or working groups where we can address our concerns. In, in, uh, let's start with that, but also recommendations. So with our members, we, we, we have a, a very nice mix of, of even EV users, but even also the industry more oriented organizations um, to, to address which way it should go. And it can be that, um, yeah, that you have a, an idea of it should go, um, but that, it, that you need to adapt it, of course. Huh? Um, E-mobility is, is only happening in, in, let's say, for real, the, the last 10 years. And now you see with a very high growth, which different needs we have or which um, pain points we need to address. It would be helpful if there is a, a case study that you could share or, or talk a little bit about a specific policy that you helped work on. One topic is the, um, which is very strange for many people that we are involved in this, is the... Um, the building performance directive. And you think, yeah, okay, we, we need uh, buildings that are, of course, um, better isolated and, and don't consume too much to heat up or to even to cool down when necessary and, and, and use um, less uh, on, on light, etc., etc. And what is what has an immobility to do with there? Uh, of course, if you get all electric vehicles, we, we want to charge them also where we live or where we work. And therefore, the, the building directive is also addressing this part. So we want to have, when new buildings are built, we want to see that if there is parking lots, that charge infrastructure will be possible in the future. Uh, we want to definitely go for more renewable energy, much solar and much wind energy, but they're not always available as we want to. Uh, we, typically, the sun, we have peaks um, around uh, around noon. If we can store this energy on an optimal way in, in the electric vehicle when there is too much, and if you even can stimulate people maybe on a financial way to do so, then the renewable energy will be very, very feasible uh, to address and to, to grow on this path. And if you have a lot of electric vehicles, I imagine that we indeed go towards those millions of electric vehicles and they can that storage can be used on a high percentage because we, we, we don't use our vehicles as much um, as we think. Um, but then we can use that energy in that battery as storage, but also to in, in the other way. Um, I can actually, when there is a high energy demand at six o'clock in the evening when everybody comes home and starts to cook, I can use my electric vehicle, I connect it to my house and I can cook on the battery when there is too much energy demand. And therefore the building directive is really addressing that we should connect as maximum possible vehicles um, when necessary, that we can um, charge them smart in the first place and that we also can use them as battery storage, optimize the renewable energy and the energy demands. 
that's really interesting. So we're not isolating it to the automotive sector. Electric vehicle policy would have implications for other sectors, such as utilities uh, as well. Definitely. And I, and that's the, the biggest change that we faced bef- before we had. To, it's the automotive industry and building industry or um, energy industry. They were not really talking to each other. And now they have to. And this is one of the biggest challenges. Mm-hmm. Now, in order for them to talk together and work together, that means that there would have to be a new landscape of services for them to be able to talk together and cooperate. Could you talk around some of the services that might be needed in order for automotive and construction and and utilities and and other peripheral industries to work together? It's all about data. Um, You connect your vehicle to the charging point, there is a, a handshake and they exchange data, what's going on. Um, but as I explained already, we will need to address the, the renewable energy should be stored where possible. This is always also data. So you, the, the key of the success here will be actually connect all these things. And, and this is on, on a digital way. So also there we need skilled persons that can, can handle this and, and do it on an optimal way. And you can also build in financial models on that. When I just said, yeah, if, if there is too much wind energy, yeah, I'm happy to charge my car. And what are the main areas where they could be doing more or could be moving faster? I think connecting, um, bringing the conversation. Um, it should not come just from it's the European Union that said, we're going to do it, you have to do this or this or this. Get discussions on the table. Um, if it's just citizens, is it is the industry players? Is the is the truck drivers? Bring bring them also on the table. Bring the dialogue with, create the dialogue with them, and it will be much easier to make the switch that we definitely need. It looks like we're on the right path to a sustainable commercial vehicle sector. Despite the limitations Philippe mentioned and the difficulty of corralling corporations at a continental or even global scale, the speed with which companies and governments are moving is getting exciting. And with companies using increasingly pertinent and effective data alongside new financial models, it looks like car makers will soon have the tools in hand to completely optimize their fleets for our sustainable future. That's all for today. Thank you to both Philip and Philippe for all their incredible insight. And thanks so much to you for listening to Driving the Future from Capgemini. And that idea of data, we'll get back to that in the next episode, where we'll find out how connected services are changing the game in the commercial vehicle sector. We'll see you then.